give glory and honor unto Jesus Christ this morning. He's worthy. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are a mighty king. You are a glorious God. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your manifest presence in this house today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God, praise God. What a privilege and an honor it is to enter into his presence. It is a high privilege. It's a great honor to be able to enter into the direct presence, the very throne room of Almighty God. Not everybody has that honor. Not everybody is able to do that. We are. Praise God. I am so thankful for my Savior. Amen. <clears throat> uh, you can be seated. Thank you so much. Uh, today we are collecting the, the, uh, Save Our Children offering. So if you have that, uh, please put that into the offering plate. Uh, thank you for doing that. Again, it's, it's, it is so important that we do what we can to reach our children. Uh, let's see. Board meeting this Tuesday, uh, March 16th. It's going to be held via Zoom. Uh, that will be at 6 p.m. The link for that as well as the agenda and the last meeting minutes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All that will be sent out today. Amen. I apologize up front. Uh, there's a lot on there. Uh, most of it is just getting me up to speed. So uh, a lot of listening and you guys a lot of talking. <laughs> fun, fun, fun. Looking forward to it, though. Uh, the, the church business meeting will be held right after that, this Saturday, March 20th at 10 a.m. Uh, hopefully that won't be as long. <laughs> we'll have everything taken care of by then. Uh, 
I think that's it. That sounds good. We'll call it it. Excellent. Why you guys look intimidating today? Everything okay? (laughs) I'm just kidding. We are going to continue our our series on uh, salvation in the Bible today. Uh, Today we're going to be deep diving a little bit into covenants, what covenants are, the, the various terminologies used. Uh, and why they are so important to understand. Uh, again, uh, covenants are, uh, they're a little bit different than contracts. They're, they're quite a bit more complete or, uh, total. <clears throat> Legal contracts, we're always looking for the loophole, the fine print, a way out. But covenants are not like that at all. Covenants are life and death. Covenants are, uh once the covenant is made, the only way out is on pain of death. So uh understanding what that is and specifically the covenants that God makes with mankind, understanding that he is a covenant-keeping God and that these covenants are very important for us to understand, not just that he keeps covenant, but what are the terms of the covenant? What are the what are the the privileges? What are the responsibilities that are endued to us under the terms of the covenant? Genesis 15 verse 18 says this: In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Amen. So uh, here we have right away that. Uh, we have an, uh, the first example of the Lord actually entering into a formal covenant with mankind. He is entering into a covenant with Abram. Now there's a story told about a man uh, who had to cross a, a wide river. And it was winter time, it was frozen, so he had to cross this frozen river. The man was deathly afraid of the ice, that it would crack, that it would, he'd fall under, and get swept under the current and drown, or freeze, whatever you do when you get stuck under the ice. Deathly afraid of that. So, as he proceeded across the river, he kind of got on all his hands and knees and crawled, and and as he got out there, he could hear the the creaking and the the cracking, and so he was... He was being very careful, spreading his weight out as much as possible. As he got to the opposite shore, the guy was exhausted. He was wiped out, terrified of this ice. Just as he was getting to land, off on his right, he sees this horse-drawn sled come through with with a full load of pig iron. Carefree. The guy was upset. <laughs> the ice is strong enough to hold this full cart of pig iron. And I was, I was scared I was going to fall under. And as Christians, we're kind of the same way sometimes when it comes to the, the, the promises that God has given us. 
The covenant agreement that we have made with God states thus, thus, and thus. And as far as God is concerned, that's yea and amen. God is going to take care of those things. He's going to. But as far as we're concerned, we're not always 100% convinced of that. Depending on the season in our life, situations, circumstances we're facing at the moment, those promises can seem quite a bit less than yay and amen. And so uh, we have to understand what these covenants mean to God. We have to understand that when God promises something to his people in the form of a covenantal agreement, it's going to take place. God is going to honor those terms. If we can get to that place, we won't be afraid anymore that God may drop the ball or that he may forget where we're at. It sure seems like that sometimes, that he has forgotten where we're at, but he doesn't. It's in those times, actually, that he is all the closer to us and that he is moving and working things out in our lives for our greater good. So what is a covenant? A covenant... Uh, if we could have a formal definition this morning, it means league or treaty or alliance. <clears throat> They're permanent. They're never broken. There are no loopholes. <clears throat> no technicalities, no fine print. Uh, they're, they're very upfront. They're specific. And the only way out is upon pain of death. That's why God hates divorce so much. He doesn't like it. And the reason for that is because it is a covenant. It is not supposed to be broken. The idea of divorce does not reflect the irrevocability of a covenant. Certainly of God's covenants. It does, however, reflect mankind's natural predilection of Breaking covenant. <clears throat> that's why you say at the marriage vows, till death do us part. And that, uh, unfortunately, that, that doesn't hold true in people's minds anymore. We're together until we fall out of love. We're together until you go broke. We're together until I find something better. Uh, that's, that's kind of the attitude today. But the marriage covenant and indeed all of covenants that God enters into with mankind are not like that at all. Covenants are not convenient. Promises are not convenient to be kept. <clears throat> but they must be kept. God is the one that originates all covenants. Always. We never find any scriptural example or any modern example of mankind calling out to God, wanting to enter into covenant with Him. Mankind has never initiated. We have always responded. God is always the initiator, 
not just with covenants, but with any kind of interaction, any kind of, of relationship that God wants with us, he is always the one that uh, initiates. He's always the one that is calling us and drawing us to him. We find no examples anywhere of a, of a, of a human being, just of his own volition, seeking God. We seek God only because he's first drawn us. We love him only because he first loved us. He is always the initiator. And so it is with covenants. When God enters into a covenant with someone, God draws them up and invites us to enter in. And again, God has given us the authority to say yes or no. That's it. There are no line item vetoes with God. We can't kind of cross out what we want, circle what we do want, give it back to him, and and now we're good. It's an all-or-nothing deal. We approve all of it, we say yes, or we deny all of it and say no. Those are the only two options we have. We have no authority to alter the terms of God's covenant. Only God has the authority to draw that thing up. So in this, God becomes a covenant-making God. He is the one that writes the terms. He's the one that decides what's going to be in the covenant, the privileges, the responsibilities on both sides. He's the one that writes that up. He's a covenant-revealing God. After he writes that covenant up, he presents it to us. He reveals those terms to us. He is a covenant-keeping God. He will always, always, if we say yes to it, God will always keep covenant with us. He has never and will never break covenant with mankind. And just as important for us, he is a covenant-enabling God. He enables us to keep covenant with him. And that's huge, because our natural predilection, we're looking for a way out. The first time something gets difficult, the first time we encounter a responsibility, that we don't want to take care of right now. We're looking for a way out. But God enables us to push through that and helps us to keep covenant with him. Praise God. Parts of a covenant. There are the words of the covenant. Now, this is the actual legalese itself. This is going to detail everything, the terms of the agreement, the terms, the rights, the responsibilities on both sides. Those are the words of the covenant. And those include promises, terms, oaths, and books of the covenant. We also have something called the blood of the covenant. As all covenants were viewed as life and death commitments, the ratification of a covenant always involved the shedding of blood. The term was used cutting the covenant. There was some form of bloodshed signifying the seriousness of the agreement. This includes the sacrifice, the mediator, and the sanctuary of the covenant. We also have the seal of the covenant. This is an ongoing tangible witness to the veracity of the covenant. It serves as a reminder to the authenticity of the covenantal promises and terms. It's also known as the sign or token of the covenant. 
Now, we have different durations for different covenants. We have what's known as an everlasting covenant. This kind of covenant covenant will last forever, and they are always in effect. An example of that is the covenant God made with Noah. He says specifically, I'm making with you an everlasting covenant. I will no longer destroy the earth with a flood. And there are temporal covenants, which are limited to a specific period of time. We're going to find in the next lesson that the Mosaic Covenant falls under this category. There are irrevocable covenants. And this is one in which God obligates himself to fulfill the promises of the covenant, regardless of man's response. These types of covenants are not based in man's obedience, but in God's faithfulness. An example of this we'll find is the Abrahamic covenant. There are also revocable covenants. And this is one in which God obligates himself to fulfill the promises of the covenant only after we have fulfilled ours. This is dependent upon man's obedience to the conditions attached to the the terms of the covenant. An example of this is, again, the Mosaic Covenant. Now, how is covenant relationship established? We've kind of already talked about that. God calls, God writes the covenant, and presents it to us. And then we can do what we want with it. Yes, no, yay or nay. If we enter in, then both parties are then bound to the terms of the agreement. Both parties must fulfill their obligations to stay in covenant. While in a covenant relationship, both parties may enjoy the benefits of the relationship. If we fulfill the responsibilities that God has given to us, we get to enjoy all of the privileges that come with that. And once we get into the the new covenant, we'll find that that's a pretty lopsided deal. We actually have very few responsibilities and a whole slew of promises. It is possible to break covenant with God. God will never break covenant with you. But if we fail to fulfill the terms of our agreements, we have, by legal definition, broken covenant with God. Now, understanding these things now, let's look at the Abrahamic Covenant again in light of this new information. The Abrahamic Covenant is an extension and in some ways an amplification of the previous two covenants, the Adamic and the Noahic Covenants. Uh, they all, all three of them include language of blessing. Uh, you'll have dominion, I'm blessing you with a specific portion of land. Those kinds of things uh, include language of fruitfulness. Uh, be fruitful and multiply. You'll have great possessions. You'll have a, a great name, etc., etc. All three of these covenants contain this kind of language. Uh, but the Abrahamic covenant further details the coming of the Messiah by stating he would come through this nation that would come out of Abraham. In Genesis 3.15, we, we find the first promise of a Messiah. That's under the Edemic covenant. But Under the Noahic Covenant, we see this further defined, that it would come from the seed of Abraham. The duration of the Abrahamic Covenant is actually a little bit tricky. 
It's considered an unconditional covenant in that Abraham's descendants, the covenant established with Abraham's descendants was not contingent upon their obedience. It was contingent on Abraham's obedience. Because Abraham was obedient, all of descendants fell under this covenant as well. So, for Abraham, it was conditional, contingent upon his obedience. But for all of his descendants, it becomes unconditional. The Abrahamic covenant is eternal and that it continues to apply even today and will apply until the end of time. It is still in effect today. This covenant is the first instance of God separating a chosen people from the rest of the world, which is very fascinating because the Adamic covenant was between God and Adam, the father of mankind. The Noahic covenant was between God and Noah, the father of mankind after the flood. Both of those covenants compassed the whole of humanity. But with Abram, he calls him out separate. He calls him out from the rest of the the human race and gives him a specific identity apart from everyone else. This is something new. And that's what he did with Abram. He calls Abram out separate. This covenant was given to a, a patriarch, just like Adam and Noah, but of a chosen nation, a chosen people, separate and distinct from the rest of humanity. Uh, This covenant is the first instance of God requiring participation from us. In other words, we have responsibilities to fulfill if we're to enter into covenant with God. With Noah, righteousness was already imputed to him, and then he received the promise of salvation from God. God recognized that Noah was righteous, and because of that, God revealed to him his plan of salvation. Noah, go build me an ark. With Abram, it was quite the opposite. God gave Abram the promise first, and when he was obedient to that promise, it was counted to him for righteousness. In Romans chapter 4, verses 20 through 22, we read this. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. So Abraham was declared righteous by his obedient faith in the promises of God. Romans 4, in fact, links us directly, you and I, links us directly to the Abrahamic covenant, becoming heirs of salvation through our obedient faith in Jesus Christ. The words of the Abrahamic Covenant. These words that were given to Abraham were also confirmed to Isaac and to Jacob. In Genesis 22:16 through 18, we read this. And said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. 
This is a confirmation to Abraham of a covenant that was already given to him in Genesis 17. Those words were reconfirmed to his son Isaac in Genesis 26, verses 2 through 5. The Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all of these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now here we see kind of that distinction between conditional and unconditional. For Abraham, it was conditional. Abraham obeyed my voice. But for Isaac, it's unconditional. I'm going to do all these things through you because Abraham obeyed me. Not contingent at all on on anything Isaac does. And then we find these same words used as confirmation to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, verses 12 through 14. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So in all of these confirmations, we, we find the, pretty much the exact same language. Promises of blessing, personal and national blessing. Through them, the entire earth would be blessed through the coming of the Messiah. God would represent and identify with Abraham and his descendants. Now, this is an important thing, that God would identify with this called out people. We're going to find this more actively uh, represented under the Mosaic law. But in Abraham's case, God identified with him. That he would be his God. That Abram was his man. And his descendants would be his people. God would fight for Abraham. God would fight against those that fought against him. And he would establish a relationship with Abraham. God would give Abraham a great name. Bless Abraham. Give him a multitude of descendants. Nations would rise from him. Kings would come out of his loins. And, of course, the promise of the blessing of land. We find that in uh, Genesis chapter 15, 18 through 21. It's giving him all of this land. Hebrews 11, 9 and 10 says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Just as kind of a side note, although God uh, God is giving Abraham all of these promises of land, these these promises of blessing, these promises of, of, of a great name, which is all wonderful and good, but Abraham had his eye on something else. All of these things were fine, but he was focused on something else. This city, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And under the terms of our present covenant, 
which we'll go into shortly, not today, but following weeks. We have exceeding good and precious promises, but those are not our focus. Our focus is, is seeing Jesus, spending an eternity with him. That's our focus. The terms of the Abrahamic covenant include two things. The first is faith, Genesis 15:6, And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness, confirmed in the New Testament, Romans chapter 4, verse 3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It also includes, at least for Abraham, obedience. Genesis 22:18 says, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because... Thou hast obeyed my voice. The oath of the covenant. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 12 through, I'm sorry, verses 13 through 18, includes some interesting language. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee, And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. God swore an oath to the fact. And not only did he swear an oath, he swore by his own name. Because he could swear by no greater. Because God swore an oath to Abraham, the covenant became irrevocable. Once he did that, he bound himself. He bound himself to his own word. And it became irrevocable. It would never be revoked. It is still in effect today. It will always be in effect until the very end of time. Until we enter into eternity. This covenant will be in effect. Because he swore by his own name. Again, Abraham's conditions required obedience, but his descendants enjoy the full blessings of the covenant because of his obedience. In this, Abraham becomes a type of Jesus Christ in this specific uh, fact because the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary was dependent upon his obedience to the plan of God. We couldn't enter into covenant today unless Jesus Christ was obedient. If he wouldn't have submitted to the plan of God and sacrificed, hung on that cross, suffered and died, We would be without hope. But because Jesus was obedient, we now have access to that covenant regardless. It's based not on our obedience, but on his obedience. It's not based on our merits, but on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of the covenant. The sacrifice of the covenant. Uh, we see bread and wine from Melchizedek in Genesis 14. 
We see the animal sacrifices when the covenant was being cut in Genesis 15. We also see the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22. The mediator of the covenant. We see two priesthoods in this covenant. The priesthood of Melchizedek, again, Genesis 14, ministered bread and wine to Abraham. Uh, Melchizedek also received tithes of Abraham. Uh, we all know Melchizedek is a very interesting character study. <clears throat> very fascinating individual. Outside the scope of today's lesson. The priesthood of Abraham. Abraham built altars and entered, offered sacrifices. He interceded for Lot and for his family before God. He was considered a priest of this covenant, a mediator of the Abrahamic covenant. The seal of the covenant, we've talked about this last week. Acts 7 verse 8 says, And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. It's called in this verse the covenant of circumcision. In Genesis 17, this is referred to as a token. In Romans 4.11, it's also referred to as a sign and as a seal. This is the seal of the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision. The administration of the rite involved three things. The cutting off of the flesh, the shedding of blood. The child's name would be pronounced over him during the rite, and it was done on the eighth day. The significance of this is that only by performing this rite could any of Abraham's descendants enter into covenant with God. Now, Abraham's obedience made the covenant possible. Abraham's descendants would be presented the covenant, but they had to take upon them the seal of the covenant for that to come into effect. Just like today, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for anyone, in any time period, in any culture. It's available to everybody. But you've got to take upon you the seal of the covenant. To reject or neglect this right would be to break covenant and to cut himself off from God. And this was to be the outward evidence of a man's inward commitment to the terms of the covenant. This was the sign. This was the seal that you had entered into covenant with God. The fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant in the New Testament. Colossians 2 verses 10 through 13 says this. And ye are completed him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So today, of course, the seal of the, the covenant is water baptism. As we go into the water, we identify with Christ's burial. As we come out, we identify with Christ's resurrection. And in water baptism, our name is pronounced over us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are baptized. 
in the circumcision of the heart. We're cutting off the fleshly carnal life and experiencing newness of life, a brand new life. And we begin to walk in the nature and name of Jesus Christ. The parallels between the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant are quite spectacular. In some ways, this new covenant fulfills what we have under the Abrahamic covenant or completes it. In other ways, uh, they kind of come alongside each other. The two covenants, however, are both in effect today. The new covenant that we experience with Jesus Christ, the Abrahamic covenant that was given to Abraham, is still in effect today. Romans chapter 2, 28-29 says this, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Today's circumcision is is quite a bit more complete. In the Old Testament, uh, and again, we'll find this more under the Mosaic Law, but even under the Abrahamic Covenant, we find a lot of uh, uh, what people call types and shadows. Natural things that represent spiritual things we experience today. <clears throat> the wars that they fought for example, were natural wars. We don't fight natural wars today. We fight spiritual wars. That's what that represents. And so, uh, as we look at the tabernacle plan, you guys know that that represents a whole slew of things that we experience in the spirit today. And so, all of these Old Testament covenants, we see a lot of external signs. We see a lot of external uh commitments and laws and rights and responsibilities. We don't see a lot of spiritual things happening. And that's because under the Old Testament, before the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our spirits were dead. God's spirit could move on someone. God could speak through someone. We could love God as much as humanly possible. But we couldn't experience anything with God like we do today. Because today, our spirits are resurrected. They're rejuvenated. We're born dead. We're born spiritually dead. That's how how everyone is born. It's not until we receive the Holy Ghost that our spirits are regenerated and brought back to life. Born again. That's literally what that means. And so, because of that, now we can have a real relationship with God. There's nothing in the way. Back in the Old Testament, no matter what they did, they always had that veil of sin. In the Old Testament, uh, the, the Mosaic Law, the, the tabernacle, they had that thick veil between mankind and God. Only one person could walk through that veil one time a year. And he had to make absolutely sure he was ceremonially clean. Or God struck him dead. 
because no flesh is going to enter into the presence of a holy and a righteous God. But today, we can enter into that holy of holies anytime we want. That veil is gone because of the new covenant. It is a complete covenant. It fulfills everything that we ever needed. So as we go through these covenants, we're going to find uh, all the way from Adam to the time of Moses. We're going to look at the Davidic covenant. Uh, all of these covenants are external. The laws that are, that are contained in there are external. Because up until, up until the time of Jesus Christ, we don't have the ability to have those written in our heart. They had to be written on tables of stone and externally enforced. That's why we got a lot of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. We're going to find that it covers every detail of life. It gets very specific. And the reason for that is simply because before the, the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary, we didn't have the capability to obey God. Not of ourselves. We couldn't self-govern like we can today. We had our old nature to contend with and nothing to stop it except these external laws. In our society today, we're finding that more and more. We need a bigger and bigger police force to, to police a smaller and smaller population. And the reason for that is exactly that. We can't self-govern. Not without the Holy Ghost. Not without the Spirit of God resident in us. Without that, we need an external form of law to govern our natural impulses. Amen. And so, under this new covenant, it is so much greater. It is the culmination of the plan of God from the very beginning. We have the full the full experience, the fullest experience that any generation, any, any, any people have ever had. The Old Testament prophets, they saw glimpses and, and, and flashes of what we experience today. And they longed for it. They, what we have today is far superior to anything that anyone has ever had all through Scripture. Amen. I'm so thankful for it. 